Ladies and gentlemen, we are back this week in Caribbean Art and Culture, sponsored by FAMU Mary. And I'm here with, of course, the best hostesses on the planet, honestly, starting off with Maria. Hi, everybody. Um, so good to be back. Happy 2023. I'm my NRT's writer and curator. And Susie. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back for season three. Um, Suzanne Fredericks here of Susie Wong Presents Kingston, Jamaica, um, gallerist extraordinaire. <laughs> I know. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. You sound fantastic, Susie. Do you? Oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm not very well. <laughs> I'm in recovery mode. <clears throat> so you'll have to excuse the, um, the sound of me today. Oh, but you sound good. You sound good. So how was your holiday break? All good mine with me. Was, mine was great too. Ready to start the new year. I'm uh, looking into Caribbean art. I love it. So right after what? Right after Basel, I believe. And Susie, correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, Kingston Biennial ended, correct? Right. Yes, the Kingston Biennial ended at the end of December. So um, the deinstall is underway. Um, it ran for six months at the National Gallery of Jamaica in Kingston, um, curated by David Scott and um, his curatorial team, Wayne Modest, Nicole Smythe-Johnson and O'Neill Lawrence, Chief Curator of the National Gallery. I love it. So we've briefly talked about the National Gallery of Jamaica before, um, but before we dive into this next conversation, I would love for you to give us a little bit of background on the museum and what the museum um, the type of work that they're known for and what people can expect if they go to visit, you know, over the, what, January, February holidays, people like to, especially from the United States, like to get away into some warmer weather. I'm sure. I mean, the National Gallery of Jamaica is the longest established um, arts, inst arts institution um, in the Anglophone Caribbean. So it was established in 1974. So it has a long history of, um, and it was pioneered really by Dr. David Boxer um, with other key people along the way, of course, but um, that have to, you know, that's a different conversation. Um, and the National Gallery has really been responsible for, its mission is to, um, to have an active exhibition program and to create a national collection and to really illustrate how the visual arts impacts and expresses Jamaican culture in a post-colonial um, world. So the, the national collection is really comprehensive. Um, we have early historical works all the way back, like from the Taino um, to the modern, to contemporary, to even colonial art in, in, has a strong um, presence. There's a historical gallery within the space. It's housed in a beautiful building down on the waterfront in Kingston Harbor. <coughs> Sorry. Um, very active exhibition program, um, very good documentation throughout the years and a real, a real kind of pivotal role in developing Jamaican art, what it means, how it's seen, how it's talked about and who the key people are in, in curating ideas around um, Jama Jamaican nationhood. And, you know, I feel like, and please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Susie, but they have also been um, the leaders at also developing cultural practice and art history, right, in, in, right. in Jamaica. Yes. Like with Verle Pupe, which had her tenure, um, now O'Neill Lawrence, and then there's other curators like Nicole Smith Johnson, who also built 
um, their careers in relationship to the National Gallery. Yes, that's right. Now, um, just as a question also, because I think that it, you know, now in 2023, when there's a lot of um, conversations about what does it mean to be a nation, right? Like, so I was wondering if you had more insights about having an art institution, you know, a national gallery which was built, uh, you know, decades ago versus now, how we're thinking about notions of the nation. Like, how was the nation defined then? I mean, then a, a period of inception? Yes. Um, I think it was very much gathering information and, and really this is where curatorial thinking came about. I mean, we had different genres emerge. Um, we have a very strong self-taught genre co coined as the intuitives by Dr. Boxer. Um, and he was very key in developing um, ideas around that and documentation around that. Oh, I've lost track, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll fill you in, because I now that you mentioned David Boxer, it reminded me that recently I I saw a, a, a paper, a lecture by Verle Pupe, who, who made this really rich presentation about how uh, his role in kind of the art, building the art historical narrative of Jamaica. But then I also wanted to ask you, how did that definition relate to the diaspora in terms of because as as the, as the as the the build as, as the organization started there had already been waves of Jamaican diaspora that continued till this day so what was the relationship between the national to the diaspora i think it was um it was difficult just because of communication you know access um and when you have like the the movement of the windrush era um, over to the UK and you had this, um, you had a whole, well, a couple of generations of not just Jamaican, but Caribbean artists generally um, developing careers over there who are now very successful, the likes of Denzel Forrester and um, people like that, you know, Ronald Moody, although they're documented here because historically they have had presence that, you know, th these were the days before even email before faxing, you know what I mean? And so I think the disconnection was so much greater than it is today. I think in the contemporary world now, there's so much access, and this is part of the reason why the Kingston Biennial, one of the missions was to be inclusive of what Jamaicanness could really mean. And you know, much of that is within migrant communities and new spaces within which Jamaicanness exists. I think over the years, it's just increasingly improved in terms of being able to communicate about these things. And then I guess I'm also wondering, like, how long is this project of the Jamaica Biennial? Because, you know, in the Caribbean, first there was probably Cari Festa, this Caribbean festival. Then we can think of the Havana Biennial that was in 84. Where is, um, the Jamaica by any sense of Thailand of this um, history of large-scale exhibitions in the Caribbean? Well, you know, it brings up this topic of whether the biennial is, is really a model um, that needs to be sustained. I think, you know, as a, bi a biannual um, effort, it was very timely in terms of keeping a kind of contemporary survey of what was happening within Jamaica. I mean, you know, the model has changed. This, this particular biennial is called the Kingston Biennial. It's the first model that the National Gallery has utilized. It did not have 
an invited list. It's fully curated. Um, Dr. Boxer, I know back in the early days when it used to be called like the National Exhibition and it was held every two years, um, artists weren't very interested in participating. And um, so they, he, he created a, an invited list um, as a kind of honor, honorary invitation to participate. And that list, as is inevitable, grows over time and then becomes kind of unwieldy. And um, there were certain conditions put around it, like works couldn't be more than I think it was four years old. Um, and there were, there were concerns around quality being compromised, artists submitting work that might not be their best or things like that. So the invited list became quite controversial um, because it was quite contextual to its time and things were changing and the contemporary kind of the younger artists coming up weren't really getting, it just became, it's a, it's a finite space, you know, and there was only so much work that could be um, included in an exhibition like this. And so um, the curator, um, O'Neill Lawrence at the time, and and the board and the, the, the manager, the senior management, we all felt like a, a model, a new model really needed to happen and to be free, to be completely free to curate, a contemporary survey without um, the the obligations around an invited artist list. So this was meant to be um, a kind of a new model, a new way of a new way of talking about and seeing um, a contemporary survey of Jamaican art. So in the past, we've had the Jamaica Biennial. Um, for this last iteration, it was specifically called the Kingston Biennial. Is there mm -hmm. any desire to, or any conversation about expanding that back to being inclusive of the entire island? Or does Kingston work for the type of work that the gallery is doing? I mean, I think internally in the production of an exhibition like this, we have to consider numerous things. We have to consider the Global South Institution. Um, with, the with the inclusion of the diaspora, you know, you have to think about customs, uh, shipping costs, insurance costs. Um, when you have the likes of Arthur Sims and Hervin Anderson, you know, you're talking about huge amounts of money there and the kind of funding an institution like the National Gallery of Jamaica can access to be able to, to stage an exhibition like this. So, you know, compromises are made to facilitate inclusion of certain kinds. And, um, in terms of, you know, there is, it's just ending now. And so there will be a meeting about the next, the next edition, um, what could be different, what should be priority, et cetera. I mean, I did like how the Jamaica Biennial in 2014 and 2017 did go into Kingston, more into a Kingston base. We have National Gallery West as well, which could be utilized. Um, but the budget just wasn't there for that kind of presence this year round. And with COVID and we had to postpone a couple of times, um, it just became more difficult. So there are just constraints around that that didn't allow for certain developments. Next time, what post-production, I'll be able to give you an update. <laughs> and just so I am clear, so the national exhibition, the national gallery, like the biennial itself started when? Like when? It opened in, um, it opened in June, 2022. No, but the first one, the first, the, when this project as having a biennial started. Do you know? Um, 
Yeah, um, well, it started as a national exhibition. I believe the first Jamaica Biennial was in 2014. Oh, so it's a fairly young project. I could be wrong, to be honest with you, because I don't, I'm not sitting here looking at the website for the history of that. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, but as far as I'm aware, it's 2014, 2017. Um, but I can check on that and, and, and come back and be more clear. Well, that's interesting. And any, any of our listeners have um, comments on that because, you know, biennials were like happening left and right in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were the thing to do. And some of them, you know, that moment have shifted a little bit. So it's interesting to think about what does it mean to start a biennial initiative in 2014, you know, from the Caribbean um, you know, what are the, the, the forces driving that? Um, I think that's an interesting question to, to think about. But Susie, what does the, the gallery's philanthropy look like? Who besides, of course, um, the government of Jamaica, who's giving to the museum? What, is, what does your, your list look like of people who, who actually give to the museum? Um, in terms of patronage uh, collectors um, and the serious collectors, I mean, there there's a handful of um, collections that have been donated to the National Collection. Um, the David Boxer Foundation is called the Onyx Foundation, and that they have just donated 45 key works from David Boxer's collection. Um, it's a lot of grant funding that happens now. Um, the National Gallery functions very much on set funding from the government and then raising funds elsewhere so um and there is not that much within the caribbean for that and outside of donations of artwork um are there any people who you know who are members who give large cash donations no they don't have a they don't have that kind of program there was a time there was a period under Dr. Greenland's leadership where they had Friends of the National Gallery as a program. Um, I'm not sure why that wasn't sustained, um, but there is no currently no running program for um, actual monetary donations um, on an ongoing basis. Hey, it's your truly DJ Bulletproof of iHeartRadio, and I'm sitting down with Virginia King, Program Administrator for Florida A&M University's Medical Marijuana Education and Research Initiative, a.k.a. Marion. This is a Mary's moment. Can you grow your own marijuana in Florida if you have a medical marijuana card? The answer actually is no, you can't. Florida law only allows licensed medical marijuana treatment centers to grow, process, and dispense marijuana. The department will refer any business or person suspected of violating state law to local law enforcement for investigation. It is important to remember that marijuana is still illegal under federal law. Once again, is yours truly DJ Bulletproof of iHeartRadio sitting down with Virginia King of Florida A&M University's Medical Marijuana Education and Research Initiative, a.k.a. Mary. Educate, learn, talk with Mary at mmeri.famu.edu. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So we have a guest. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning, Melissa. Morning, Suzanne. Morning, Maria. I'm very excited um, to have here this, this to join us in our conversation, David Scott. Um, a lot of you listeners probably know and read his work, um, but I'm just going to give an intro. 
David Scott is the Ruth and William Lubick Professor and Chair of the Department of Anthropology at Columbia University and the founder and editor of the journal Small Acts and the director of the Small Acts Project. In this context, he's also the curatorial director of the exhibition Caribbean Queer Visualities, The Visual Life of Social Affliction at the National Gallery of the Bahamas, and most recently, the Kingston Biennial on the National Gallery of Jamaica in Kingston. David has a lecture widely in the Caribbean, the US, Europe, South and East Asia and Africa, and he's the author of several books, and he's currently completing a book tentatively titled Inreparable Evil, The New World Slavery in the Moral History, and working on a biography of Stuart Hall. His exhibitions and projects have been exhibited internationally all across the globe. So it's a pleasure to, to have uh, David here with us this morning, and thank you so much um, for your scholarship. Thank you very much for having me. I'm going to assume this is not just an interview, but a conversation. So I can ask questions too, I hope. Absolutely, absolutely join in. So it is great to have my brother in editorial here and also a fellow founder. Um, the work we do is very important. So it is a pleasure to be in conversation with you. So let's just go ahead and kick this off. Um, tell us about the Kingston Biennial. Um, and give us a, a background about not only the biennial this year, but also about the curatorial focus. It was a long process. And uh, um, you know, when I when I was invited to um, lead lead the curatorship of the biennial, there were a number of um, exciting prospects that it seemed to me really important to think about as ways into what a biennial in Kingston might be. Uh, and uh, you know, very, very quickly, um, I, you know, the conversations started with the, with the National Gallery um, uh, in terms of the formalization of what the parameters as far as they were concerned would be and what my concerns, interests and parameters would be. And very, very quickly and partly out of the work, out of the small acts work, I wanted to have a, a thematically driven biennial, which is not, necessarily very common. I wanted to have a relatively small number of artists, again, not um, entirely typical. Um, and I wanted it to be not just a Kingston biennial in the sense that Kingston would be the host city, um, but Kingston, a Kingston biennial in terms of a kind of Kingston vibe so to say. Um, and so those were three issues around which, you know, I began to think and, and began to think out again out of the, the Small Axe Project, the visual, and you guys can stop me at any point because you know, <laughs> I, I, I go on and on and on. The, 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 the Small Axe visual project is driven by a, a, an interest in the relationship between the visual arts and the social world. 
connected, if you like, by a bridge that we might call criticism. You know, what's the relationship between a visual art practice, visual art consumption, distribution, et cetera, and the complicated worlds of the, the Caribbean and, and its diasporas. And so I wanted to bring that into thinking about the, the Kingston Biennial and all of these small acts projects, whether around queer identity and queer experience or around social affliction, social suffering and social affliction are thematic concerns that are easy, that easily resonate with contemporary Caribbean experience. And so I wanted to figure a language through which to imagine connecting visual work to Jamaica, to Kingston in particular, that would have a kind of vibe. And that vibe seemed to me captured by the very Jamaican idiom of pressure. I mean, it's not just, a, obviously not just a Jamaican idiom, but it has a very, very Jamaican resonance across a wide range of kinds of issues. And that I had very quickly settled on that. If it hadn't, if pressure hadn't been the theme of the Kingston Daniel, it would have been the theme of the next small acts visual arts project. So this seemed to me a, 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 a great occasion to be able to think about a biennial, to be able to think um, in relation to Kingston, to be able to work with the National Gallery and to do what I thoroughly enjoy doing, which is working with, with visual artists. I don't know whether that answers your question, but it, 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 it at least gets us into the conversation. <laughs> so with your choice of, of the theme, is that what also inspired you to bring together this curatorial team and give us a little bit more background about why you chose these individuals to help you bring this to life? Sure. Um, so again, this, I mean, uh, so much of this is um, rooted in and rooted through the Small Axe experience. And the Small Axe experience, for me is, is essentially a collaborative one. And uh, I mean, collaborations are, as I'm sure all of you know, very complicated, very, very difficult. Uh, if everybody has their own vision and their own agendas and so on and so forth. But, but at the same time, you know, I think that collaborations are absolutely, absolutely essential. None of us individually can do everything or think everything or see everything. And therefore to find people that you can be in conversation with, um, not just people who are going to enact your vision, but people who push back, people who have counter agendas, people who can bring inspiration and creativity to a conversation has been really very important for what Small Acts um, has been about. And so it was, I knew immediately going into it that this was not something that I, at, at a simply creative, um, from a simply creative point of view, something that I wanted to do on my own. Um, and so, you know, both Wayne Modest and Nicole Smythe Johnson are people that I have been through small acts in conversation um, and who bring various kind, different kinds of um, experiences, background experiences, talents, expertise to the conversation that I wanted um, um, to be inside of the KB discussion. Uh, Wayne in particular, as 
um, you know, director of content at the Tropen in, in Amsterdam, has a vast amount of experience in terms of bringing exhibitions, large scale exhibitions, complicated routing and rerouting of visual work. Um, uh, and so had that kind of experience that I, I wanted to be in, in, in the discussion. Um, and I, I, I admired Nicole's work on the John Dunkley show. I thought that was a, a really Im important show. And, you know, and I also wanted, um, shall, shall we say, some folk of a, a somewhat younger generation than me who, who, who have a different, who connect to the, the discussions about um, Jamaican art in, in ways that are not, that connect to, but are not exactly identical to my own. So that's where, you know, Wayne and, and, and Nicole were really very important where that's concerned. I also wanted, and it was very important to me, um, um, I also wanted not to have a conversation which was simply external to Jamaica for obvious reasons. Um, Nicole, Wayne and myself live and work outside of Jamaica and that's a very complicated set of issues for Caribbean people, for Jamaicans no less than, than anybody else. If you, are, if you live in foreign and you, you know, who are you and what do you know? And there are all of those wide questions that I think are enormously important. And so it was important to me to structure into the conversation about the Kingston Biennial an, 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 an organic and institutional relationship to our, to our hosting institution, namely the National Gallery. And so it was important to me to bring on um, O'Neill Lawrence, who's the, the, the curator at the National Gallery, to be inside of the conversation, not somebody who was who stood in a in a you know in a, in a in a different place that we came to with our ideas that he was part of those conversations, and and you know once the curatorial team was decided on. Um, we, we got to work, we just, we met on Zoom virtually every Sunday for, for a year and a half until COVID did us in. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so you chose a lot of artists that we love. Um, Katrina Coombs, you know, one of our last, last interviews from last season, Nadine Hall. Tell us about the choice of artists for, for pressure. So we could talk about that all morning, really. Um, we had preliminary conversations from the get-go, as I said, about what, what do we understand by, by pressure? What, what are the parameters of this conception? Um, you know, and what are, how do we think about the artists that just come to mind um, are, are around pressure. And you know, one of the interesting things about the about the where the selection ended up is that, and which is why I earlier mentioned the question of, of generation and so on. If you, you know, if you grew up as I did in Jamaica in the 1970s, the idea of pressure and, and the visual arts has a particular kind of social orientation. 
right? You're talking about kinds of social pressures that are read through a, a kind of understanding of colonial history or a uh, an understanding of very contemporary Jamaican set of social and political issues. One of the things that emerged very, very quickly in, in the conversations that we were having was a sense in which there's a younger generation of Jamaican artists for whom the question of pressure lives along a different set of trajectories than um, poverty or social injustice that have, that are themed around very personal, familial, sexual kinds of, of concerns and those, or around migration, for example. And these themes very, very quickly came into the conversation in ways that were unexpected and, but really began to, to shape the way in which um, we thought about the parameters of what might now constitute pressure. So Nadine's work or Katrina's work, I mean, that work like that, um, you know, began to really, um, you know, there, there was a kind of pivot around, around what, whether we went to an older generation of artists, whether we, whether we imagined being, ha having a mix between older and younger generations and what that would mean. Um, so there were those kinds of, this, of, of conversations and you know, little by little, by process of um, conversation, by discussion, serious disagreements, there were folk who uh, wanted you know, X or Y artists in the show and there were folk who felt that that was the wrong direction. Um, so there were very robust conversations about about um, that selection. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have a kind of hard and fast list of criteria by which we were going to decide on who was in, who was out. We had very, very complicated conversations about each of these artists and the work that we knew and someone would suggest an artist um, and we would have, those of us who didn't know the artists, or their work would have to go and, you know, look at work and and so on. Um, and little by little, an artist list emerged. Um, you know, roughly around the kind of number that we were that we were talking to. And at a certain point, we had to say that was it. That we we were at our number. And and you know, you're in a situation in which you don't actually know ahead of time, what's going to come out of it. Once we had arrived at the list, we asked, we invited artists into the, into the conversation. And we, you know, we asked artists to, to send us by um, some deadline or the other that we came up with. A rough idea, both in terms of narrative and if possible in terms of sketches of one sort or another, um, what they might do. And we tried then to begin a conversation with the artists around the um, ambition that they had set for themselves for, for the work that would be in the show. 
I wanted to ask um, two questions, which might be related. One is about, um, you know, the National Gallery in its construction, right? Very much it's based on ideas of the nation. So I was wondering about the very much to me, which feels intentional um, um, gesture of inviting artists that are living outside of, of Jamaica in terms of what does it mean to the construction of what is Jamaica in relationship to that older nation structure? That was my first question. My second question has to do with more with the biennial curatorial model. You know, we're, we're in, in the 2000s, biennials were mid 2010s, they were like booming and booming and booming, some of which don't exist anymore. Now the Jamaica, the Jamaica biennial is, it seems from what I hear is a younger project, like um, that it became to fruition in 2014, is that correct? Um, so I wonder what does it mean now to have a biennial project? And, and it sounds like those were things where they were also informing the curatorial uh, positioning. Thanks, Maria Elena. You know, you know, um, again, again, the, the question of generation is not insignificant here because the, the, the National Gallery of Jamaica is an institution I grew up with in some way. You know, it emerges in the 1970s at a really critical juncture in the transformations of Jamaican cultural political self-consciousness. And it is, um, to, to put no finer a point on it, a very complicated institution, um, but an institution that I think is um, um, is, is an important, uh, occupies an important space in the landscape of cultural institutions in, in Jamaica and in, and in the Caribbean. And so thinking about, thinking with, thinking through the National Gallery, as I have tried to do through, through say the University of the West Indies in other contexts is I think something, an important challenge and an important endeavor. And yes, the, the National Gallery clearly as the gallery of the nation in some way plays a certain role in figuring um, both creatively and in terms of policy, obviously, um, uh, which we won't talk about, but um, an idea of what art connects to the nation and how and, and so forth. And so, you know, thinking about, I, I don't think that that the, the, the fact of the National Gallery informed my own desire to have a Kingston Biennial that was um, thematized around Jamaican artists. But it seemed to me to be the, um, a perfect alignment in some sense of thinking about the question of Kingston and thinking about what who a Jamaican artist is um, um, in relation to an institution like the National Gallery. I, having said that, that was not uncomplicated, right? Um, because there are um, different conceptions of what Jamaica is, what the parameters of the diaspora are, uh, and whether or to what extent artists in the diaspora are sufficiently connected to either a Jamaican identity, whatever that is, 
um, and to the questions that are thought to emerge out of a space called Jamaica. I mean, I get, uh, this is a question that's addressed to me all the time in, in my own work, to what extent is this Jamaican? And I- Yeah, and you know, I'm also in the diaspora and yes. I feel like, so I, I know what that, and when I actually left Puerto Rico, somebody called me a Yankee. So I also feel like um, there's, you know, there's that tension, but also as being in the diaspora, um, and I don't know if you have this feeling as well, like there's a lot of uh, romanticism and love towards the idea of working back in a place that is home. Even, even if you, if I haven't been there in X amount of years, Puerto Rico is still home, so. You know, there was a lot of that, which, which you know, which I think it's something that I would hope gets thought about more and more. Um, the conversations with artists and um, writers outside of the, the Caribbean, in, in, outside of Jamaica, in terms of participating in the biennial was itself il very illuminating to me on, on precisely those grounds. Um, um, you know, there, 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 it, it wasn't always a kind of um, warmly embraced um, for people who have felt not very warmly embraced. And I think that that's, I think that that's a, a real challenge for all of us. I think, I, think, I think you cannot think the Caribbean without its diaspora. And I think that there are ways in which there have to be avenues for complicated conversations about you know, what one can contribute, how collaborations can take place because there, there is value on both sides. And I think that there is something to um, to be pursued around around those issues. There was a second. The second question you raise is, what's the you know whether whether one can think about um, what's the future of banyas in 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 Jamaica or elsewhere in the region or or, or elsewhere globally? I think I think that's a, a a tough question and one that I won't try to comprehensively respond to but I mean I think that by the time I was invited into the biennial conversation there was a there was already a, 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 a serious set of questionings about the value and virtue of the kind of exhibition that had come at the end of the you know, through the 90s early 2000s to characterize banyas these big jamboree like um, festivals of of contemporary art or art in which the question of the contemporary emerged as a, as a, as a thematic value. And I had no investment in that way of thinking. You know, I don't, I, I don't inhabit institutionally the art world and therefore there was an, I, I think for me anyway, an, a perspective at a kind of tangent to those kinds of preoccupations that I came into the to, the to the to the discussion with, and so the the conceit of that of imagining even something at the scale of of the Havana um, Biennale was not something that that I had any necessary investment in, and so the 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 issue was how do we enter a conversation about the contemporary at a scale above individual or a small group of artists to think about um, where 
visions, preoccupations, concerns, demands were now in thinking about contemporary art. And so for me, the biennial is that kind of opportunity. It's an opportunity to think about the question of art now um, at whatever scale in whatever thematic set of orientations are, you know, are, are, are part of the framework or the vision of the curators involved. So there yes. are likely young curators who are listening to this, um, who will eventually be called upon to do similar work, um, whether in their own nations or possibly even be invited to be a part of this biennial. So what were things, what really worked in creating the Kingston Biennial this year that you likely will implement for other projects for small acts or beyond? It's a, it's a good thing you didn't ask me, well, what didn't work? So that's the next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we could probably answer both. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it, there is, it, it's, it's hard or maybe it's easy to um, recognize to begin with that the, that the, the Banyal, the Kingston Banyal, KB22 was made enormously difficult by the, the, by the pandemic in ways that we could not have anticipated. I mean, quite simply, for example, not just about um, meetings or you know, my not being able to come to Jamaica, for example, or to talk to artists, to be in studios, to see what works going on. There was the, the, the very question of the, the, the constant rupturing of the momentum of the conversation, the creative conversation toward planning, toward thinking together. There were, so they, they came at um, um, a time, as I alluded to earlier, when the curatorial team didn't meet for months on end. And that conversation had to be rebooted. And we had once again to generate the kind of energy and um, direction that we had been generating before. And this, um, also applies to our conversations with artists, you know, conversations with artists basically at a certain point shut down and we had to try and pick that up again. And artists, of course, are, you know, have competing agendas. Artists were going in various different directions. We had to try. But, but apart from all of that, the, 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 you know, the, the, the great pleasure, I think, is trying to, um, and this again comes out of small acts for me, trying to engage artists in an agenda that you have from a curatorial perspective that may not be theirs. And to, to have conversations in which you feel that you are having in some way to persuade an artist that what they are already doing, even if this is not the way that they think about it, can be figured in relation to the idiom of the theme that you are bringing to the table. And those were very fascinating conversations to me. And those are conversations that 
you know, I'd already been familiar with in Small Axes work because we would have, we would be able to commission work around themes, whether queer visualities or social affliction. And I would be in conversations with artists who would say, forget it, that's, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Go and talk to somebody else. And one would have to find one's legs in um, to, 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 to draw the artist out of their comfort zones and into a different set of conversations. And that to me is really important. I mean, the Small Axe Project again is, how do you create spaces of dialogue across different genres of intellectual and artistic work? That is my agenda. And how to, and therefore the question for me in the biennial was not only the, the intellectual synergies in the curatorial team, but the synergies between artists and curators as artists were either imagining what kind of work they would create for the show, keeping that work going, or thinking about what work from their existing body of work would be, would resonate with the, with the rest of the, with the show. And I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but I think in some way, that the show is um, small, tight, but there are poetic resonances across in each of the rooms of the, of the National Gallery. You could feel synergies across those works. And I think, I think partly, I mean, partly that's serendipitous, but it's also partly, I think, something that grows out of a way of conducting these kinds of conversations with artists, several artists, all of the artists. Um, I mean, you know, the great pity for me, the great pity for me is that we couldn't have had at the start or at the end of the biennial, abashment in which all of the artists were there, you know? And I just think that would have been a, an amazing kind of moment in which a public and artists in the show could be mingling, thinking about work, thinking about the larger social contexts of Kingston in which this is taking place, the inside, the outside of Jamaica. But that's what, that was what the hope was going in, that this is a conversation, this is a, a dialogue between the artists uh, among themselves, between the artists and the curators, between all of us and the institution, between all of that and the larger social context. And how to feed that into a visual art discussion is what is the ambition that I had, whether it was realized or not in any way is a question for you guys to answer. Maria, you jump well, in. Well, thank you, right? Thank you so much yeah. for your generosity. And, and, you know, I, and thank you, kind of a general thank you. I know I started off with mentioning Small Acts, but thank you for all the work that you've done, um, not only with Small Acts, but all of your curatorial work across the board throughout the years. And for being a part of this conversation, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys all very, very, very much. So David, where can we find you online? <laughs> I have an email address. 
So we don't want people to email you, but we do want us. We do want to visit your website because we don't know what kind of emails you'll get. So where's, where's your website? <laughs> um, well, what, I mean, the, the only website that exists is the website is the Small Axe website, which um, okay. we are in the process of revamping at the moment. But that, okay. yeah, I, I don't have a personal website. But um, do you have a Small Axe IG handle? Yes. What is that? What's an IG? It's the Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> well, I'd have to ask my daughter about that. And there is a small axe Instagram and small axe Facebook, and there's all of that. And and, and whatever the tags or addresses for all of those are, are available on the small axe website. I myself <laughs> I, I so small axe.com. Yeah, is the is the okay. is the um web address. Okay. And all of and the, the I, Sorry, go ahead, Maria Elena. <laughs> the IG handle is Small Axe Project. There you go. There we go. So make sure that our listeners follow you there. So Maria was sharing with me in a com- quick conversation before we close out some really great news, Maria. No, I was just mentioning okay. to Melissa, you know, that you've been working on a project about creative modernities that's supported by Melon. So um, um, I was just mentioning just... You know, so we do we have, about that as well. We, we are we are trying to uh, get that project moving again. A, a project around thinking about Caribbean modernisms. Um, so there is that down down the coming up. There is a proctor a project with Suzanne uh, uh, on David Boxer, which is connected in my own mind with the question of Jamaican modernism in in particular and Caribbean modernisms um, more broadly. So yeah, so there is work to be done. Congratulations. David, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. But before we go, we want to give a thank, a quick thank you to our sponsors. I want to thank FAMU Mary for being a sponsor of This Week in Caribbean Art and also the Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau, our other sponsor. Maria, where can we find you online? You can find me or in um, Instagram at Contemporary Chica. And Susie? You can find me on Instagram also, Susie Wong Presents. You can find us on Instagram at Sugarcane Magazine, or you can visit our website, sugarcanemag.com. Ladies, David, thank you so much for joining us. Until next week. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, David. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a wrap.